Okay, good afternoon or good evening, as we would say in Belize, after 1 o'clock it's evening, or after 12 o'clock it's evening. And uh, it's good to see you all here again. Thank you for lunch, whoever, all of you who provided that. That was delicious and a very good choice for uh, helping us stay awake, not to have something too heavy. Salad is better to stay awake after lunch than meat and potatoes, maybe. But we might still struggle. I, I, I'm sure I would. In fact, who knows? I might anyway. But, but uh, anyway. Uh, so thank you for that. Thanks again for your graciousness here. Your hospitality. It'll always be a good memory for us to have spent time and in interacting with you and all the meals we've eaten. <laughs> we've almost overeaten. I say almost because I don't want to admit that it actually happened. But, but. Uh, it's been, it's been very good. We've really enjoyed our, our time here. After the, after the message, I hope I leave enough time that you won't be discouraged with. I'd like to give you opportunity to say something if you have something to say. What's, what's the Lord? Uh, do you have a word for the Lord or from the Lord? Um, and then uh, after that, and, and, and I'm not going to wait long. If you don't have anything to say, I won't push you. Push, I, don't, I, won't, I won't wait long. So have it ready. When, you're, when it's time. And then I'll turn the time over to ministers here. I won't, I'll just turn it back over to you when we're finished. All right, so let's go to the book of John again. And we're thinking about grace. This is a beautiful, beautiful portion of scripture. Again, in John 1. In fact, part of it is, uh, we read it this morning. But John 1, and we'll start reading in verse 14. And this is written like, you can imagine... As John was thinking about this, John wrote this some 65 years maybe after the resurrection. And, and as he's remembering this, I uh, wonder what thoughts were going through his mind. We can imagine a little bit. But he said, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We talked about glory in the Sunday school class this morning. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, now speaking of John the Baptist, and cried, saying, This is he of whom, he, whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. A few more verses here that talk about the grace of God, uh, uh, the grace upon Jesus Christ. And it says, And the child grew, in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And now it's giving the testimony of the apostles, and it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Matthew, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So what is grace? Four things that I think grace is. One is divine influence. Divine influence is simply the 
influence of God on our lives that shines out and, and, we can, and it can be seen. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, we read that verse once. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And in verse 13 of John 4, I'm of Luke, I'm sorry, of Acts 4. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. We're talking about divine influence. That's what grace is. It's the influence, the, the, the influence of the presence of God or the influence of God on our lives. So we're different when we, with the grace of God in our lives. So it may, it's divine influence. It's also divine favor, special blessing. It's divine provision. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Um, so that, that, that grace, that salvation, the, pro, the provision of salvation has appeared through grace to all men. And it's divine enablement. These are four things. Divine, influ divine influence, divine favor, divine provision, and divine enablement. First time we see the book, the word grace in the, at least in the King James Version of the Bible, is talking about Noah, Genesis chapter 6. And I think it's kind of fascinating that when it talks about Noah and says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and I, I think it's pretty fascinating that the first time this word is found that in the Bible that every aspect, every one of these four aspects of grace is, is found here. So we, we talked about, we talked about uh, divine enablement or divine influence. Noah was a righteous man in the middle of a whole lot of wickedness that was because of that divine that grace, that divine influence upon him. So God looked down and said, we're going to have to get rid of this wickedness, but we're going to save Noah and his family. That's divine favor. I'm going to save Noah and his family. That's divine favor. He told Noah exactly how to build that huge boat to survive the flood. That's divine provision. And so Noah built a boat big enough to fit his family and hundreds of animals into, strong enough to hold up in the worst storm ever. And he got in there with all those animals and his in-laws. And so Noah, Noah's family and all their in-laws were together for a whole year. That's divine enablement. Old Testament grace. The next time the word is used in the news in the, is the story of Lot. And Lot is talking to God, and he acknowledges him, and he acknowledges to God. This is in like Acts chapter, sorry, Genesis chapter 19 or 20. And, and uh, he acknowledges that God has shown, has shown him some mercy by rescuing him from Sodom. Now, Lot was different from Noah. At, at least we think so. We know he was. He wasn't the same as Noah. He didn't have the character of Noah. And we would look at Lot and, and say that he, well, he wasn't saved because he was a righteous man. 
Now, he was saved because Noah, because, sorry, because Abraham intervened for him. Now, the Bible does say he was righteous, and we won't say he wasn't, because the Bible says he was. But it wasn't enough to save him. He was saved by Abraham's intervention. And so what we see here is a little different aspect of grace. This is favor extended to someone who may not have been really deserving of it. The word grace is found 39 times in the Old Testament, and by far most of those times, it's not, it's not without exception, but by far most of the times that the word grace is found in the New Testament, sorry, Old Testament, it refers to doing something that gains the favor of someone. So Jacob sends a gift to Esau when Esau is pursuing him. And what does he say? Let this gift, let me by this gift find favor in your sight. Find grace in your sight, is what he says. And then David, uh, Ruth works hard to take care of her mother-in-law. And, and so because of that, she found grace in the sight of Boaz, something she did. David and Jonathan, the same thing. There, there's a few exceptions, but by far the, the main idea in the Old Testament is that grace is extended to those who are in, in some way deserving. Uh, this favor is extended because you deserve it in some way. In, in general, that's not, like I said, it's not straight across the board, but that's generally the idea. New Testament grace is different. Uh, where, it great, where it talks about grace in the New Testament, it's, it's a bit different. In the New Testament, there are, there are two words that refer to, that are translated grace, two Greek words that are translated grace in the King James and uh, and one of them it means beauty, and it's found in Acts. Is sorry, I keep saying Acts. It's found in James chapter one, verse eleven, and it talks about the 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 flower, and it says that the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So that word grace means beauty. The other word uh, is found um, one hundred and fifty one times, and it means gift. And it's this, this grace, the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So that when that word grace appears in the New Testament, with one exception, it's talking about the gift of salvation. or it's talk, It refers to salvation. Abide in the grace of God. Don't, it's referring in some way to salvation. Is a thought that's re, it's repeated over and over in the New Testament. Just look at... Look at the, you know, if you do a search on the word grace, and it just refers over and over to the grace of God. And it's talking about, we, we commended them to the grace of God. It's talking about a gift. Now, so the main difference between the use of grace in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the thought of merit. In the Old Testament, grace is a reward. In the New Testament, grace is a gift. And how is a reward different from a gift? When you go to, when you go to work, and work, you earn your <coughs> paycheck, hopefully. You are, you're rewarded with it. In a, in a way, it's not a reward because it's it's a, you're, it's, an, it's it's a salary you've earned. So you've earned it. Um, when you when a reward is offered for shooting a a, a wolf. It's because you've done something to earn it. It's not just a gift. So a reward is different from a gift. A gift is something that isn't really deserved. 
And so the next time we, when we think of grace, just think about how, how or, or uh, when you come across the word grace, think of it as a gift and how that opens up our understanding of what grace really is. It's just, it's something that we don't deserve in any way. So how is grace different from law? This morning we looked how that law um, controls actions, but, but it's powerless to control the heart. Grace, on the other hand now, intervenes in the heart before wrong actions take place. Grace works with covetousness before it results in stealing. Grace works with anger before it results in hate and murder. It works with lust before it results in adultery. So grace works not only on our actions, doesn't just deal with the actions, it works in our hearts before the actions take place. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The law showed the offense, <clears throat> but grace is different. It says, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Look at the man who gathered sticks on the Sabbath day. And, and if you want to read, if you want to read, uh, if you want to turn to Numbers chapter 15, we can do that. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that had gathered sticks on, that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto all the congregation, and they put him in ward, because it was not declared what, he should, what should be done to him. And the Lord said to, unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the, brought him without the camp, and stoned him with stones, and he died, as the Lord commanded Moses. That's law. And grace is different from law. What does grace do? here's some important things. Grace is an extension. It's not an exception. I'll explain that. When you're given grace to pay your light bill, for example, you don't have the money to pay your, to pay your light bill. When the electric company gives you grace, they're giving you an extension. They're giving you 10 more days to pay this bill. They're not saying you don't have to pay the bill. They're not saying, oh, because you're a good-looking fella, you, you don't have to pay your bill. They're not saying that. They're, when they extend grace, they're giving you an ex extension, not an exception. Um, it, 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 it means that you're not going to be cut off right away. It doesn't mean that you don't have to pay. If you continue not to pay, you will be cut off. So that's a good, that's a little picture of how grace works. It gives us an extension. It doesn't give us an excuse not to do what we're supposed to do. Grace has two aspects. It has both the time to, to get it right and the power to get it right. Uh, let's think about school. If, uh, if, if you're a teacher and your student fails to prepare for a test, he might fail. 
And, and you as a teacher could ethically, I think, uh, depending on the rules of your school maybe, you could, you could extend grace to him in, in two different ways. One thing is you could give him, you could give him uh, time to prepare. The test still needs to be taken. It's an extension. It's not an exception. And uh, time alone, though, will not help him, will not prepare this student that has no idea how, long, how to take this test. So you, even if you give him more time, it doesn't help unless he knows how to actually, learns how to take, to take the test. So that's one aspect is time. The other aspect is the help to prepare. So extra classes, explanations. Uh, you're, the teacher can't take the test for the student, and neither can she let him skip the test, but she can help him get ready for it. That's grace. It gives us time to, it gives us time. God extends us opportunities, and he gives us help, but he doesn't say you don't have to take the test. Grace might also mean more than one opportunity, and God gives us that as well, more than one opportunity to take the test. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to take it. That's what God's grace does for us. It gives us time, it gives us help, but we still need to take the test. It doesn't take the test away. Now what is the test? The test is a life of godliness. The test is a life that honors Jesus. See, we're talking about grace. Grace helps us take this test, but grace does not take away the test. So a life, that, a life of godliness, a life that honors Jesus, a life that imitates Jesus, a life that shuns evil and strife and ill will and hatred, a life that loves his enemies. Now, if you don't love your enemies, grace will help you do that, that divine enablement, that will help you do that but it doesn't take away the requirement to love your enemies or, or anything else that God asked us to do. There's a grace that forgives us for not being what we ought to be. And there's a grace that helps us become what we ought to be. There's a grace that overlooks our imperfections. And there's a grace that helps us toward perfection. You see, grace has two aspects, but it's never just one-sided. It's never just overlooking our imperfections, saying that's okay. The, that same grace, had the other side of that same grace, says, takes us by the hand and says, let's go on to perfection. Could we say, I think it might be right to say that one kind of grace is milk, the other is meat. The kind of grace that says, oh, it's a, that, that, Yes, I understand. You, we're not. We're you know we'll overlook those perfections because grace does that. Those overlooks the imperfections. We need that as babes in Christ. We need that. But the kind of grace that says, "Look, let's move on to perfection. I'll help you." That's more like meat that Paul is talking about. There's some wrong ways to understand grace. One wrong way is that Jesus paid the price for our sin and we can continue to live in sin, sinning every day. That's an amazing amount of people. That, that's just kind of their idea. Well, yes, we're all, we're all sinners. And um, it's not, you know, we can't, we can't be perfect. We're human. By the way, 
Being human is absolutely no excuse for sinning, you know, because um, God, Adam was human. <laughs> he, had, he was perfect. It's not our humanity that's the problem. Our humanity was made in the image of God. It's our carnality that's the problem. So um, we sometimes want to blame our humanity for our weaknesses, but that's not really our humanity. There's nothing wrong with being human. Uh, what's wrong is being carnal, a carnal human. And that's where we all live. That's where we all live. So it's kind of the same. We're not, it's kind of the same thing. But it, technically, I say, I think uh, we, it's not our humanity that's a problem. It's our carnality. So um, back again to, to this. So this idea of saying we're, we're just human and I can't help it. We just sin. What we're really admitting is that we're just carnal and we don't care enough. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead, in, dead to sin live any longer therein? And that's Romans 6, 1, verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What shall we say then? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Again, God forbid. So this idea that Jesus paid the price for our sin and that we no longer need to be concerned about that uh, is a wrong way to understand grace. Another way that people, some people understand is that it's really impossible to live up to God's standard and and uh, it's just, yeah, it's just impossible, so, so why even try? And then this idea of free grace. Um, grace is free in the sense that we can do nothing to earn it. But it is not free in the sense of what it costs Jesus. You know how much grace it costs Jesus to extend grace to us? And then we think of it as just a cheap thing, free thing? <laughs> It costs Jesus more than we could possibly ever imagine. And one of the best things that can happen to us is when we can occasionally get a glimpse and get a view of how much that really cost, how much our salvation really cost. Would you like to experience more of the grace of God the divine influence, the divine favor, the divine provision, the divine enablement. Well, there's really nothing that you or I can do to earn the grace of God. Because then grace wouldn't be grace. Uh, we can't work to earn it. Because then it wouldn't be grace. Grace is a gift. Gifts cannot be earned. We can do nothing to deserve it. We could do nothing, neither can we do anything to put God in a position where he is obligated to pour his grace out on us. So what can we do? If we want to experience the grace of God, is it possible? Can we do anything? Well, we can earn it. But I think this is what we can do. We can put ourselves in a position where God is not obligated to pour out his grace on us.
but he's pleased to pour out his grace on us. He wants to pour out his grace on us by obedience, by humility, by sacrificial love, by sincere and earnest pursuit of the presence of God. That makes God, or that puts us in a position where I think God is pleased to pour out his grace, his divine influence and enablement and, and uh, provision and um, favor on us when, we, when that's our life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray that, and we want to thank you again, first of all, for allowing us again another opportunity to come together and look at your word. And we want to see Jesus, Father. We want to see him more and more in our lives. We want to pursue him. We want to be so close to him. And Lord, we have so many things in our lives that tend to distract us, some of the some of just the mundane busyness of life is one of those things. And our own carnality wants to raise its head and so often. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to live in your grace, surrounded by your grace and your and the the influence of Jesus himself just uh, being on us. And again, I just want to pray a blessing on this congregation here. And uh, may the, uh, the, the, the word that is spoken by each life, may it be a powerful testimony to those around us. Help us to love you with all our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.